This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. All right. Hello, my geeselings. This is episode three. My resolution for this episode, at least in the introduction, is not saying so, because I've noticed that uh, between sentences, I'm always saying so this, so that, and I want to cut that out. Anyway, this is episode three. I think it's like the sixth or seventh that I actually recorded. It's with my father, Ronald Oren. And as you listen to it, you'll probably get a sense of where I come from and why I am the way that I am. But my dad is a lawyer, though that's not super relevant. What's more relevant, and I know I've been using a lot of superlatives in these introductions, is that he is, without a doubt, nobody even comes close, uh, the most creative person I've ever met in my life. And he is an artist, and he just has art and creativity spilling out of every pore in him. And that's relevant to the conversation as we go through it. But first, uh, some background information. We start off by talking about ketchup, which would seem pretty irrelevant, but it's actually quite relevant to the time at which we recorded it, which was, I think, in April. So when I was an infant, my parents realized that, or noticed, it would probably be hard to miss, that I was throwing up and getting red every time they gave me tomatoes or or ketchup. And I got tested and was allergic to tomatoes. And I've been tested many times throughout my life. And I've always been allergic to tomatoes. So I hadn't had them until I was, well, I mean, I hadn't had them since I was a baby. But I, when I was living in New York, I went one day to get a Japanese fried chicken sandwich. And I asked them when I got there, are there any tomatoes on this sandwich? They said no. But then I was eating it and there was a taste that I didn't recognize. And I, and I'm very sensitive to that because I also have allergies to some other foods. And I asked them again, are there any tomatoes on this? And they said, absolutely not. But then I was talking to my friend Demetrios, who's another uh, guest on this podcast and he had just been visiting Japan. And when I told him I had a katsu sandwich, he was like, that's Japanese barbecue. So I, I called the restaurant back and they checked the sauce and there was indeed ketchup in it, but I didn't throw up. So then I, I went to the doctor and I got an allergy test and a blood test. And they said I wasn't allergic. To, well, the test suggested that I wasn't allergic to tomatoes. So the next step was I had to buy tomatoes and go to the hospital and they observed me over the course of a few hours, giving me doses of winter tomatoes in little Dixie cups. And they were checking me for rashes or other signs of allergic reaction. And lo and behold, after the vast majority of my life, I was no longer allergic to tomatoes. So this was, I don't know, in March or so. And so I have been since then trying foods I've never eaten. So I just had two nights ago, I had 
baked beans for the first time. And for some reason, I'd always thought they would be super bitter, but they were really sweet. And I just had Frito pie, which was not something I'd been waiting for my entire life, but I had it and it was also really tasty. But anyway, my dad and I ended up talking the day after I had ketchup for the first time. I almost said so, but I didn't. And thus, we began our conversation talking a bit about ketchup. From there, we moved on to beauty and mathematics just briefly because I had earlier that day interviewed Michael Harris, who's a mathematician at Columbia, and that was a topic we touched on. But the majority of our conversation, without having done any preparation on it, was about collecting. And we talked about collecting in all its facets, but with particular attention to how it can be a way of creating order out of a chaotic life. Among the things we mentioned were Borges, who's a, I'm not sure if he's Argentinian, but that sounds about right. An Argentinian author, uh, African art, the democratization of collecting through NFTs, my father's artwork, uh, Noah's Ark, all sorts of things. But it ended up being a really nice conversation, and I wouldn't have expected that to come out of collecting. I definitely need to work on the audio. That's obviously one of the most important things about podcasting. But as we're getting closer to the present on episode three, it'll still be a while. I like to think that I'm becoming better at doing this. And my geeselings, I hope you enjoy this podcast. For the first time in my life, I had French fries with ketchup. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I myself, I thought they were delicious. Well, no, I mine's a ketchup story too. So I, I went to Bop and Grill, which is sort of an Asian hamburger shop on Belmont near the L, because I felt very shut in. So I just took a little walk and. On the way, I sort of decided to go there, and they have a kimchi burger, which sounds a lot better than it actually was. It was a very fair third-pound uh, third burger, but they gave me fries, like a surplusage of fries that were C-plus fries, but um, ketchup packets. And I didn't eat ketchup until I moved to Chicago for law school. I never had ketchup that I remember. And... Uh, they gave me the little packets and I, it's such a miserable little thing to open that little packet and squirt that little bit out and, and having a big pile of fries, it was especially miserable. And of course I asked whether they had, you know, uh, an actual thing of, of, of ketchup. And of course being the pandemic, the answer was no. So after eating most of a mediocre burger and fries with dabs of ketchup, I just sort of threw in the towel and, left it was just a very sort of crushing experience minor as it was just because it was very pandemic -y. you know i i went in i was the only person eating there in this very small place um everyone else was just coming in and saying like you know showing their phones like i'm picking up an order and running out the door and and they had no ketchup they just had these little packets that weren't really working for me so i didn't really feel very happy there and was sort of eager to leave. 
Well, I had always expected that ketchup would be spicy. Oh, but it's tangy. it wasn't spicy. It's more tangy, right? Yeah, it was tangy mm-hmm. and sweet, and it was super good. And then I also had cocktail sauce. I had shrimp cocktail. Oh, cool. And Where'd you eat? That was also super good. A place called The Ribbon that was actually very bad. Oh, um, but you should try. But yeah. the French fries with ketchup were super good. They now make all sorts of ketchups. And they now make sort of a spicier ketchup or like a jalapeno ketchup, um, which is, could be quite tasty. And I do like cocktail sauce. So something that I, I mentioned, I spoke to a mathematician today. Mm-hmm. I spoke to Michael Harris, mm-hmm. who's a number theorist mm-hmm. at Columbia. And we talked a bit about beauty in mathematics. Uh-huh. And it ma- just the conversation made me realize that when I'd heard people discuss beauty in mathematics before, I'd always thought of beauty as sort of synonymous in a way with art. They were they were seeing they were talking about seeing sort of art in mathematics. And it made me wonder then what the role of beauty is in art. I figured you'd be a good person to ask about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I always thought beauty in math from the man who loved only numbers and from the other few math books I've read, uh, not, the man who loved only numbers being about the Hungarian mathematician Paul Erdős. Right. And and so books that are largely biographical or narratives about groups of mathematicians and the like, but I thought beauty in that sense meant elegance. It was more of a um uh, concision or something or, or a way of of yeah. of, of cutting through a lot simplicity. of garbage. Yeah, but not just simplicity. Simplicity is one thing. Mm-hmm. But there there are other things. There's symmetry was a word he used. Mm-hmm. Uh, unexpectedness. Is as beauty? Yes. Huh. Um, I think that would be a very good subject for a talk uh, just because I've I have read some stuff about beauty and art that especially tries to deal with art that is not beautiful. Um, but I don't well, think... the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of art that is not beautiful is Hitler and degenerate art. Oh, and the well, art well, that he banned degenerate because art he didn't be quite think it was tra- beautiful. Well, degenerate art can be quite beautiful. It depends on how you define beautiful, Did right? he think it was beautiful? No. No, I don't think so. Right. Right. I think they were, I, and I, they were still probably... looking for like Greek and Roman ideals. Right, and he pointed out that beauty wasn't talked about in mathematics Mm -hmm. until, I'm not sure if he said the 17th or 18th century, Mm -hmm. something around there, sometime around there. But in the same way, beauty wasn't necessarily a goal of art in the same way that it might be today, uh, 2,000 or 1,000 years ago. There were other motives like... uh, religious idolatry or something like that right or right. the capturing of history uh-huh. well 
Your glasses make you look like Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter. Yeah. They're like magnifying they're, your eyes. They're extremely mentally. cracked. They're cracked all around here too. So um, at least a danger to myself, if not others. Well, since I wasn't prepared for that subject, and really I'm not prepared for any subject, maybe we could talk a little. You don't have to be prepared. I'm not prepared. Maybe, We're just yeah. Well, maybe we could talk about a subject, going. something I was thinking about today. Um, sure. Well, first, can you tell me what the role of beauty is in art off the top of your <laughs> no, head? No, I can't. Uh, the, okay. the role of beauty in art off the top of my head. No, I certainly can't. No. Okay. I don't think I can, really. So what I okay. was thinking about was collecting. Um, what's worth saving or collecting? Why we save or collect? I read some stuff on it. At some points in time, there's a Warner Must Musterberger book. I think that might be his name. It might be a psychoanalyst called something like Collecting the Unruly Passion. I think I've seen some other books about it from time to time. Um, I sometimes think about it myself. I was thinking about it because I was putting up my sticker wall as, I, as best I could, making a new wall of stickers. I do like stickering walls. I like the look of it. And and um, I was just thinking about something we talked about before, you know, why we have this impulse to gather or collect, to catalog, to classify or organize, which I guess implies some understanding why we scrutinize, examine, why we do all those sort of things. And I, I have in my mind very loosely some 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 categories or thoughts about that all of which i'm sure others have said well I'm, I'm absolutely certain others have said a million million times better but i was just thinking we could talk about that a little bit because you don't really bring it on you don't really collect things you're a little more of an aesthetic than an aesthetic person in certain ways i sort of but yeah. i i do have that impulse to collect i mean more, more recently I have like 60 I think. pounds of candy right now right. in my apartment it's a little different and you can it's not it. i'm consuming it but i'm also compiling records yeah oh that's a good that's a good thing and photographs that's good that's a good point um lists are, are one of the things i definitely do a lot of lists and right. i compile a lot of knowledge in a way right. i mean i i have a i do a journal or a diary every night uh -huh. and that's part of the impulse to to collect and re revisit at some point in the future so let's let's just do a sort of stream of consciousness talk about some of the reasons why we think people collect and i think one of the most obvious ones this may even tie in a little bit with that sort of Freudian anal retentive sort of stuff that I think has been largely rejected, but I certainly think there's some effort to establish dominion and order over chaos. You know, it's sort of the small corner of the universe in which your will counts for something, right? So, um, uh, I, I, no, absolutely. And I think you're <clears throat> closer to the mark when you mention anal retentiveness and <clears throat> the, the Freudian ideas than you realize. Because, I mean, even in analysis, something that I am often talking about with the <clears throat> analyst is <clears throat> the way in which 
I regiment my life uh-huh. because every day my day is planned down to like the half hour. It's like, okay, I get up 90 right. minutes of rucking, right. going to stretch this foot for three minutes, the next foot for three minutes. I'm right. going to write for 30 minutes. And it's all a matter of being dominion over or having dominion over the chaos of my life. And in a way, even if I feel like a sailboat tossing in the waves, I'm at least able to keep shaving every day and uh, bail the ship out and keep the keep the boards repaired. Yeah, I've always thought you're a little more rule-oriented than me in that way, but I agree that I think that the title of the 13th century Jewish philosopher Maimonides' magnum opus in English is something like a guide for the perplexed. And, and and maybe that's wrapped in that's that barbecue restaurant beside your yeah that's, home. Uh, it's called um, Milt's, Milt's, Milt's barbecue, barbecue for, for the perplexed. perplexed. Oh, maybe that's uh, Maimonides. I never thought about it. It probably is because yeah. it's a Jewish barbecue uh, of place, right? Probably my dad. They have my... beef bacon, which I think is absolutely abhorrent. Yeah. Well, okay, we can get back to bacon in a second, but I, I, I think that. I guess I was thinking that even if we don't expressly regard the world as chaotic or our world as we are involved in it as chaotic or disordered or ununderstandable or uncomprehensible, if that's a word, you know, we have trouble grasping. Incomprehensible. Yeah, that didn't sound right, though. Um, We have trouble grasping the shape, the structure, the order of things, and, and we like to be assured that there is a shape. There is a structure, there is an order to things that it can be understood. And, and for a similar reason, perhaps we like stories and we like narratizing that create stories. So we make, you know, we make a story that has an ending. It has a beginning and an end, um, good triumphs over evil, all those sort of things. So I think in sort of the same way, collecting might be establishing dominion and order over chaos. Um, I also see in it when I think about how well, when I when I'm sort of when I can step outside myself and and sort of objectively for a moment look at what I do with these rows and rows of bookcases throughout the house, ordered, very ordered, um, I realize that collecting establishes an order, everything in its allotted place. Very important concept, I think, and everything within a in a sense a microcosm of this, but everything within a great interlocking and interconnected system and that which which sort of reminded me of the way we have done this with lots of things uh dewey decimal system uh linnaean classification you know classification and and name giving will be the uh foundation of our science i think that's sort of what what uh what undergirds the linnaean classification was it Mendeleev? Was he the periodic table guy? Mendeleev in the periodic table of elements. I think that was his name. M-E-N-D-E-L-E-E-V. And I'm not. I don't know. I know Mendel did the. Yeah, a different did. different guy. I think it's Mendeleev who does the periodic table. And I and I, I'm not erudite enough to address taxonomies that classify versus ontologies that specify or create a, a formal framework that describes anything 
not just of taxonomy, by establishing relationships, classes, and, and constraints that act on concepts and entities within a given system, all those sort of ideas. But, but um, I just have been thinking about whether this is just my effort to create my little ordered part of the universe. Um, and it reminded me, weren't you into Borges for a while? Yes. And and did he, it was his story called Library of Babel, or is just that one of the topics in one of his stories? The Library of Babel. Yeah. And, and isn't that where like leagues of scholars scoured the lab, uh, pour over everything, try to make sense out of nonsense, you know, ultimate knowledge out of chaos, so all that sort of stuff? There's essentially uh, an, a library with an infinite amount of books. Right. But it's, I mean, it's not infinite. You can, it's just a vast, vast number. Mm -hmm. And they're not written necessarily by anyone, but they're just every possible right. permutation right. of text. So the vast majority of them are complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. So vast skull, uh, hordes of scholars go through the library, uh, looking through lots of books, trying to find ones that have meaning yeah the secret of the universe burn might be and destroy some that aren't right that that they think of as apocryphal right right again it, it, it basically trying to get the ultimate knowledge apocryphal and get... is that the right word pardon me i don't think apocryphal is the right word maybe heretical uh-huh but it's that idea of, of, that of making sense out of nonsense or finding ultimate knowledge in the chaos right mm -hmm. yeah Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on in that story. Yeah, I don't really know it. I just vaguely, I remember you telling me about it. I don't think I've ever read it, but it's, I think collecting in that sense is is about power or a, a sort of godlike feeling of order created out of chaos. I mean, what what might be a heap of books in the Library of Babel could be organized and distilled and synthesized and understood you you know you can what would otherwise be a, a just a room filled with books in a heap is, is a library that you can pour over and understand and and in that sense i guess it's also uh somewhat anti-entropic it's like taking up arms against entropic dispersal and decay if not the death of things, you know, you're, you're sort of resisting linear time. Um, mm -hmm. I guess we, we, that I re when I read, when I read the denial of death by Ernst Becker, uh -huh. who it, which is, a it's a famous book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure, but I imagine that he mentions collecting as sort of a way of, denying our death in an attempt to sort of hang on and preserve our legacy and leave something lasting behind us. But one of the things that I found very funny about this book, and, and now, I guess, now that I've been reading and more interested in psychoanalysis, there's more to it than I thought when I read it. Uh -huh. But he believed that, and I could be butchering this, that homosexual urges or man's urge to suck his own penis was him trying to sort of reproduce himself eternally yeah actually like, that's why i meant remember you telling me that once something about that yeah and, and then i think i said something about herbert marcuse or something 
Um, but uh, one other thing that you haven't mentioned with regard to collecting is museums. Oh yeah, well I want to. I think there are quite and, a few of them. Yeah, well, um, museums are. I mean, like when you think of the Elgin marbles, right? Uh, it's a way of storing trophies, right? Hold on, there's actually a a poem that is worth record reading right at this moment by Schiller that I just wrote. And now a poem. Why are you laughing? No, because it just sounded like um, Henry Gibson and Lappin in the 1970s. And now a poem. You, no. it, sorry, it's a reference uh, that you wouldn't understand. It's a, it's a it's okay. comedy show. Hold on, let's see. It's called The Antiques at Paris. Mm-hmm. And I am going to find it. There it is. Antiques. Would be this be the Schiller for who uh, has the statue in Chicago and for whom the street is named? I'm sure it is. But anyway, the Antiques at Paris is a very short poem. It's that which Grecian art created. Let the frank with joy elated bear to Seine's triumphant strand. And in his museum's glorious show the trophies all victorious to his wondering fatherland. They to him are silent ever into life's fresh circle never from their pedestals come down. He alone ever holds the muses through those breasts, through whose breast their power diffuses to the vandal their but stone. And when I was reading this poem, what it, what I, so he idolized the Greeks mm-hmm. very much right. and thought that they had, because of their relationship to art, this inward drive to, act morally and righteously Mm -hmm. and the franks who conquered greece brought the or that area they they brought the grecian art back to um sen's triumphant strand i'm imagining is the louvre and the art is silent to them Mm -hmm. because they don't understand it. But the the point, I was just thinking of it because museums are sort of a place of plunder. And, well, they can, can be. be I mean, yeah, obviously, right. art is donated. Uh-huh. But you've seen Predator. Obviously, uh-huh. you've seen Predator. Sure. You had me watch Predator in a men's weekend when I was probably like 10 years old. Probably three. But, but even, yeah, even the Predator, like it comes to Earth to collect right. trophies. Right. And uh, the the paradigmatic or stereotypical savage who epitomizes man's most basic most basic is always depicted like I don't know with with uh, shrunken heads around his waistband and sashes of human ears. It's just a memorandum of conquest. Yeah, I mean, all, all the things I would think about about collecting, I don't think I can slot them into neat, separate, non-overlapping categories. Um, I think what you just said, I think would slot into like a couple of the other thoughts I had about collecting. So maybe I'll go through a couple of those and I think we'll see how that, I mean, not that mine are any good, um, really pretty much off the cuff, but, but, you know, 
I think that's that's part of it, the museum collecting it, and I I'll get to like what I'm thinking about some of the stuff in museums, but let me follow up on the idea that that establishing dominion and order over chaos, um, or I guess a little more that um, the Library of, of Babel, that that I think collecting is also achieving knowledge, or the express or implied belief in achieving knowledge and, and uncoding or decoding the universe because again on some level collecting is the world in a microcosm it's sort of uh encyclopedic it's uh, it's your world in a microcosm yeah it's it's your your controlled world you've got you know a, a, i think theatrum memoriae might be a word for it or phrase for it you know, with, with the individual parts illustrating their place in, in God's great mind, in a sense, sort of a scientific taxonomical exercise, allowing for the examination of the deeper meaning or nature of the universe. And, and again, sort of the mind of God in collecting stamps, in collecting coins, in collecting stickers. Did you ever collect stamps? Uh, I collected stamps a little bit. I collected coins. I know you collected coins. I was just thinking the other day, I asked somebody, maybe it was Demetrios if he ever was interested in collecting coins. I think it was him. And I think about, I know you have a couple of pirate coins. I do. Probably worth like all $10, but they still... Really? They all seem sort of magical. Well, I well I, though that's another. I mean, well, I, I get to that. I mean, that's part of this too. I mean, I, I think that some of this achieving this idea of achieving knowledge and uncoding or decoding the universe through collecting also has like again i i can't slot these neatly they overlap with some of my other thoughts but it's sort of that there's some element of rescue in it there's some element of of like rebirth maybe even transfiguration maybe even alchemy it's, it's almost alchemical um it, it creates sort of an int <laughs> Another, it's maybe its own category, but I was thinking that collecting sort of creates its own intimate, if not sensual, relationship with things. It's a way of having a relationship you control. Um, well, it's funny you say that because I like an intimate relationship with things because I just I sent you a picture, but I got this denim jacket yesterday that I'm oh. very excited about. And mm -hmm. Like when I buy this jacket that I think is so cool and then I read about, oh, it's indigo, like real indigo. And then I read about the dyeing process in Japan uh -huh. and then I look about at the hand stitching and I'm feeling it. And there is this very intimate connection to an object. And but I mean, that's why you and I are both, you more than me, are really fascinated by denim. I like it uh -huh. because of just the way it wears and changes right. over time. Well, I was thinking about it in the sense that it's an intimate, if not sensual relationship that you have control over in a way that you can't control or dominate with an actual human. You know, you can, yeah, you, you can, it does your bidding in a sense, you know, if, if it's still fulfilling, yeah. uh, if it's still a relationship that you appreciate and find value in it, it's sort of yeah, it's like that reinforces um, I think your I, value. I, I was talking about this with Graham recently, but that Twilight Zone episode 
where this, I don't even think I've ever seen it. I've just heard it uh, summarized, but there's a librarian who hates oh, people. I love this book. And this they're episode, always, yeah. they're, they're always like disturbing his chaos or disturbing his world. Right. And he just wishes he could be alone in his library. And then he goes down into the library with his, with, which is sort of his little kingdom. And then I don't know if there's just like nuclear warfare Armageddon while he's down there and he comes back up. He's the last person on earth and he's so happy because he has this world that's his now, the books, he can be alone with them. He can do what he wants with them. And then his glasses fall off and break. Yeah. Uh, and he's a was famous actor named Burgess Meredith. And I think you're right. He, he's, he's just, um, He's upset that he can't be with his great love, the books, that he's being distracted, that people are annoyances, that they're interfering with his enjoyment. And yeah, I think he, and it's probably, I mean, yeah. he's a character, but he can't dominate the people or control them the way he can his books. Yeah, so he goes down into some like deep, deep vault or deep, deep recesses of the library. And like you said, there's there's like some sort of Armageddon or Holocaust or Holocaust is the wrong word, but... Uh, right. Nuclear Holocaust. Right, and then at the end, like uh, the glasses slip out of his hands and crack, right? Right. Yeah. Um, another. That's why people collect pets too. Uh-huh. Is you can, you can uh, dominate them in a way. I mean, you can't dominate other people. Right. Uh, and dominate is a strong word, uh-huh. but you do have control of them. You can take care of them, make them do what you want right. to do. It's why some people probably have 11 cats. Right. So um, with respect to that jacket, briefly, the one thing that, that I found sort of oddly oxymoronic about it was that it's a denim jacket in the nature of a trucker jacket or what I call a trucker jacket, but it has the pattern. It's not. Okay, but, well, you can tell me about that in a moment, but it has the pattern of snowflakes on it, of all things. Yeah. Which, of course, I associate with cold weather. So it's like a warm, or it's like a cool sort of a fall weather jacket. I'm with you. I understand what you're saying uh-huh. there. So, that I find And why does it have that on it? I mean, what's the logic of That's just the... The brand or the people who do it, they just put all sorts of designs on things. What is, what's I, the brand? I, Capital. Oh. See, that would have just um, and their silk screen, not sewn, right? Embroidered. No, that's that's hand embroidered. Oh, it is. All the flake snowflakes are hand embroidered. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay, I have more appreciation for it than I did when I thought it was silk screened. Okay. No. no. Did you buy it it's or did you just try it on? I bought it. Okay. I bought it. But anyway. Um, you ready for my... It's oh, go ahead. Not, n- no, it's not a trucker jacket. I mean, there are three types of denim jackets. There's the type one, the type two, and the type three. Uh-huh. The type three is the trucker. Oh, okay. This I, thought, I think one. of them all as trucker. What's the difference? Well, they're just, I think, various designs that Levi's had over the years, and they're separated by 20 years or so. Gotcha. So it's I imagine, pleated as I think a pleated the front? First, You know, I, I don't want to get up because I'm okay. wearing boxers, but <laughs> I'm not wearing but any pants. I, I'm, I, yeah. Okay. So anyway, I, I was going to another category was I was thinking that collecting on some level can be about appreciating. I mean, appreciating in a broad sense the supernatural, because I was thinking about how much collecting involves holy relics sacred objects, fetishes, 
totems. Um, you collect totems of a sort, yeah. Um, totems, yeah. I'm not sure I'd call them totems. Um, I'm trying to think of a better word. They're not fetishes either. They're not dolls. You have fetishes. Yeah, but um, what are they called in Kisi and Kandi or something? Um, Vanavi. In, in they're called. Uh, well, I'm thinking of the nail fetishes. Oh, I don't have any nail. Fe- I don't have anything like that. What are those called? Uh, in Kisi, yeah, I'm right? surprised you know that. Very good. And I think it's like in English, Anapashvi, K-I-S-I. I took Royal Arts of Africa 12 years That's ago. That's true. I forgot about that. In Kisi, right? <laughs> anyway, you and know. What, what was? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Never mind. I was going to show off more. Uh, well, I was thinking more about the Ibeji from Nigeria or the Banavi. Twin dolls. Of, of, a, of the Ebe tribe from, from Togo, yeah, or Ghana. So you collect those. Those are interesting. You should t- talk a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what I remember about uh-huh. them. And what I remember about them is they're from Nigeria, right? Uh, Ibeji are from Nigeria. Vanavi are from the Ebe tribe, mainly from Togo, but, but some also, I think. But got... they're these tiny little dolls. And this isn't the right word, but it's the word that we've been using. Uh, the tribes from which they came fetishized twins, right? No. Like twins were sort of magical creatures. Well, I, I, well, I don't know fetishized. They, they certainly apparently... Revered or something. Well, they have the highest... Apparently they have the highest, if not one of the highest incidences of twinning in the world for whatever reason. And I don't know if fetishizing is the right word, but what they do is, or what they have done, not a lot written about Vanavis, good amount written about Abejis, just because uh, the Yoruba are among the more studied African tribes or groups. But what they do often is if um, twins died or a twin died, they would have a local artisan make an effigy. I think that might've been the word you were thinking about. It's not. Okay. They make an effigy. So they'd make a a little six to eight inch to 12 inch sort of figure that they would carry around, um, feed, feed, wash, bathe, um, often multi-generationally, if that's another word. Um, So, um, there often is a good amount of wear on them, having never seen them in C2. I, I don't really know. I, I've been told that some of it is from the washing. Um, I've been told that they actually would put food at their mouth. So I think some of the smoothness or sometimes some of the raggedness around the mouth might actually be from um, you know, a critter, a rat or something, you know, coming and chewing where they put palm oil or, or food at the mouth. But but anyway, they're they're sort of in a sense dead babies. Yeah. Why do you collect dead babies? Yeah, exactly. Um, I started in the mid eighties without knowing what they were when at an art fair someone had a few. Um, and then I had a favorite store in Soho when Soho in New York was a very different sort of place. 
um, and a favorite gallery on the Upper East Side in New York that happened to get them. I, they're very hard or much harder to find nowadays. I, I have like no luck finding them for years. Um, but you haven't bought any for years. I don't think I bought any in possibly ten years. Oh no, I bought okay, I bought no. one or two. I found one with you when I was in Austin, right? At that one store yeah, in Austin. Yeah, you did actually. And I don't know how long ago that was. That's the last one I remember. Five years. Just five years? Huh. Okay, five yep. years. Probably the last one. And before that, I had purchased a couple from France and a couple from Germany, but they were just harder to find. So they used to be rather cheap. They're not within the art collecting community or the African art collecting community regarded as items of, of considerable value. They're items of lesser value. Um, they're a little more expensive now, but I bought them over the course of well, 1980, mid-80s till, you know, five years ago, I guess. And I probably have 150 to 160 of them. Did I lose you? Nope. Okay, because my, my computer screen turned off. Um, so I probably have like 165 of them, 150 to 165 of them. I would buy more if I found them. But again, I don't want to pay. But why, so, I mean, we've been talking about collecting. Yeah. Why do you think you collect them? Um... I mean, you collect all sorts of things. You just you started off the conversation talking about your sticker wall, right? Right. I mean, you you collect stickers, you collect denim, you collect books, you collect various art. You used to collect coins, you collect CDs, you collect well. Still, there's some there's I mean, some element of, of all these things. I mean, that I'm talking about. I mean, um, we were talking about holy relics and sacred objects, and I think that you know, religions venerate objects um objects are imbued with talismanic qualities they're they're sort of dead but they're alive with an aura they have the spirit of something greater they're 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 more holy and important than we are sort of something you can say about art in some ways but and and i think that's part of it is they they have a sort of magic to them, a magic of, of physical closeness across time. They they allow you to, to be more than you are uh, in the same way. Well, something that, I mean, going back full circle again, mm -hmm. something that we haven't touched on is you also want to collect things that are, one also wants to collect things that are beautiful. Uh, it's Sometimes, it's not wise. necessarily though. I mean, it's... Ow. It's I, right, not always, but I mean, I think of kings with their harems of women. They want to collect beautiful women, or Genghis Khan. Uh, how like some surprising percentage of people of Asian descent are related to him because he was obsessed on some level with collecting numbers. I guess you might just want to put it that way yeah well i mean i i now you've you've sort of maybe touched upon um maybe what we know about historical collecting i mean collecting in certain respects um cabinets of wonder and 
and curiosities and, and who had, who could collect and who could collect things of value and, and rarity. I mean, it, it usually was royalty and people with money. I mean, now we've hit, in a sense, the democratization of collecting. So, I mean, I think we're talking about a different sort of thing when people collect, you know, salt and pepper shakers and, and, uh, well, when you say democratization of collecting, I think of one, I mean, when somebody says collection, the first thing I think of is art. And when you say the democratization of collecting, I think of first NFTs, Mm -hmm. uh, but after NFTs, Mm -hmm. what I think of is, and this to me is so ludicrous, but I heard some corporation or bank or something like that, they buy, they bought some, some famous painting and then that, so then they have it displayed in their office or Robinson, whatever their location is. Robinson. What? This is my client masterworks. Oh yeah. So should I not talk? No, about I can, it? but I'll, I will just, I will say a little something about that. No, can them. I not talk sure about you it? Can. I mean, you don't even know, but I'm, I'm, but no, that's not what I'm referring uh-huh. to though. So I, I do something. That's not what I'm referring uh-huh. to in particular, but, but let me finish. Sure. Um, so they, they, they buy the artwork and then they sell NFTs, I guess, of the artwork that are sort of fractional shares of the artwork in the same way that someone might buy shares in a company. Okay. But what I find so uh-huh. ludicrous about the idea, and this might not be Masterworks, but this is about the company that I was reading about. And it's not that they, this is their business model. They just bought one painting and they did this, mm-hmm. is that they are keeping the painting uh, physically in their office and displaying it. That's mm-hmm. that's the museum, and that's where the real thing is. And people are just, to my mind, being absolutely foolish if they're thinking that they somehow own this painting because they've paid this company a thousand dollars for a thousandth of the painting. Yeah. Well, whatever that means. Interestingly enough, I was going to mention them. Um, they were going to be. They, they, I think they fall in part of masterworks. One, yeah, I was going to mention them. I think they fall into one of these categories. And by the way, when I said they're my client, I didn't mean they're really my client. I'm doing work for them. I have done work for them. Um, they, they, uh, aided by their experts, buy artwork at a considerable cost that they believe will appreciate considerably in value. My words, not theirs. Uh, You could read what they say online, but uh, they hold it. And again, I I may be getting this wrong because I don't remember exactly what they say, but they, they state that they will typically hold an artwork of that nature for a period of time, say three to 10 years. Again, my words, not theirs. And then they will sell it. And what they do basically is they securitize and fractionalize the artwork in the sense. The ownership. The ownership. So not you're not buying a picture. You said you'd buy like a picture of it. It has nothing to do with NFTs. In, in the no, case of Masterworks, you buy didn't. a. I'm talking about NFTs. I'm not talking about what yeah, you're talking so about. Yeah, so in right this now. case, say it's a Mona Lisa, you, get, you could buy like a. It's it's too expensive to really make this make sense, but you'd buy a thousand, you know, a share, one of a thousand shares of the Mona Lisa. Um, There, I I think that 
and this goes very much with the democratization of collecting, I think that one of the interesting aspects of collecting obviously is the hunt, the chase, finding yeah, and I've, winning auctions, winning bids. I've been, right. I've been talking with Phil about watches a lot lately mm-hmm. because he likes watches and I'm interested in a watch mm-hmm. and I want the watch now. Right. And he says, no, this is the fun part, like trying to find it and making calls right. and contacting right. dealers. And it's like, not to me. That's not what I want to be hunting. Right. Well, that's, uh, but to each that's some of the bug is, and there's, I'm sure there's some, I don't even know what the scale would be, but like need, hunger, unquenchable thirst into obsession, into addiction or something. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh yeah, I never heard of that. That's a good one. Okay. Well, that's what it's called. Okay. Good. I I don't know. Anyway, so I I think um I think you're right about that. I I always think that mom's line was one of the best lines about my excitement about winning eBay auctions. You know what I'm going to say? I I remember that you, oh yeah, you're just like the idiot who was willing to pay yeah. the most. I, one time I won something. I won something and I, I just was like so excited. I said like, I got the Levi's jacket. Like like it's a sample. It's a specimen. It was whatever. Like it was a one-off. Like I got it. I, I'm so glad I got it. I had the high bid and she said, that doesn't mean anything. It just means you're the person who wanted to pay more than anyone else. Like, like, sure, you could have had it. Any, you know, just had to pay more than anyone else. Like, no big deal. Well, that's like yesterday when I texted you about the jacket, and your response was, "Well, you know how I feel about well, it." Well, I already told you how I feel about it. I haven't seen a person. Yes, I, I'm yes, just having. I, I'm having problems with snowflakes on a denim jacket. It's just, just it doesn't yes, make sense to me. Fine. Anyway. Um, it could have been anything, but I do like the snowflakes. So, so this goes back to like collecting and watches, and maybe even museums. Another category here is collecting as a testament to greatness or achievement, and it could even be a small scale greatness or achievement. I mean, it. it no, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like, well, it depends on what you mean, but I'm sort of, I don't want to say obsessed, but. I want to collect more degrees. Uh-huh. Like to me, it would be awesome to have PhDs in physics, philosophy, mathematics. Right. right. And obvi- a lot of that is I want to learn those things. And I very much believe that the university system is the best way to mm-hmm. do it, even though a lot of people kind of shit on mm-hmm. that these days. Right. But another part of it is I want these testaments to the fact that I've excelled. But I think part of that is is um, exemplified in some of the collecting, especially collecting um, that is a uh, that ex- that will leave a mark. Maybe it's even a bulwark, a bulwark, b u l w a r k against mortality. Um, I don't know. I mean, it it seems to me. Um, what other what items do you have in mind when you think about greatness? I mean, our testaments. I mean, I sort of generated books for a while, writing books as that was 
I just kind of wanted more. I wanted to have more out there. I wanted to have written more. When I write words every day, I write, I don't know, fiction, I write 2,500 words Mm -hmm. a day. And a lot of it is just knowing that I'm producing and I am collecting words and it's the piles just getting bigger and bigger. Right. Well, I mean, I guess I've said before that sometimes I feel like I have a little less of this feeling lately, but I feel like life is to some degree custodial, um, that you're gathering, uh, holding and caring for objects that are objects of value that would then be provided to, to those down the road, whether that's as in specific as you know the money you leave your kids or pieces of art or i was thinking about in particular in light of our cousin mickey's jewelry um, documents documents relating to my family from the 1800s early 1900s in in um, in la grande and, and oregon and other places um uh, so I've been somewhat disabused of the thought recently as I've just been noticing as my parents age, as their friends around them age, die, as they tend to move, it seems like, into smaller and smaller worlds, uh, literally rooms, and and literally sort of deaccession more and more of their stuff to the point where they just have like a few personal belongings in a room and then they die. Um, that my idea of that somehow I, I like have conserved all of this stuff that I'm taking it with me through my life and somehow I'm going to deliver it intact to someone else uh, at my direction is, is just uh, um, false, completely false. But still, I think there's some urge to magically or supernaturally um, collect uh, uh, and then to like somehow pass it on. Um, So I don't know if I completely lost the the question you were asking, but I think that's like part of it is that I, I think that I've deluded myself to some degree in thinking that I'm not just collecting for myself, but I'm collecting for those who would also have the same interest in my stuff that I do. Yeah. So I think that my question was about the, the collecting greatness and testamentary testamentaries, but something else that came to mind while you were talking is, so I, I had mentioned sort of the collection of degrees and you mentioned the word that came to mind for you was exhibitionist Mm -hmm. or exhibitionism. And I was thinking something I've thought a lot of, well, not a lot about, but it's an idea that's come to mind a lot over the past few years is that when I was in high school or even younger, what made somebody cool was whether they had the new, they knew, they knew the new music. They were listening to bands nobody uh-huh. knew, or if they had, if they had uh, cool clothing that nobody else could afford, or but you knew about it, like it was supreme like stuff, but you just didn't have it. 
I couldn't get to New York. But it was City. So, it wasn't yeah, like it was like completely unknown. Was, it was known but unattainable by you. Right. But what I think, what I'm thinking of right now is just how much sort of mundane collecting is exhibitionist. Uh, we listen to, we're driven to find new music because we want to exhibit our tastes to other people. We collect clothes and go shopping because we want to be perceived in a certain way. And we sort of establish this wardrobe when we really only need a few pieces of clothing and they don't need to be uh, special. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think we're not, I, I, on Instagram or I like am posting, I post all the pictures of the food I eat or the treats because I'm exhibiting something. It's something that I'm collecting, but it's because I want to, I don't know what it is I want to project to people. It's probably a lot. It's probably very complicated, but one thing I think is wanting to be accepted or understood and perhaps find people who are interested in some of the things that I'm interested in. I'm sorry. I just hit the uh, microphone. Um, I think we're also a cumulative, if not accretive, nature and so we're also sort of like snowballs rolling down a hill um so until until it's thrust upon us that we're older and and those of us who can't who have no choice but to again move into the smaller quarters and and shed a lot of our life goods um I think we have no choice. Uh, I think it's just a compulsion, um, a hunger, a need, an unquenchable thirst, whatever, again, that we just accumulate stuff. Um, Very few of us get and shed stuff. I mean, I I wore a shirt the other day that to me seemed like a pretty new shirt. And then I had a very clear recollection of one time I wore it. And I did the math in my head and just realized that the shirt was like 20 years old. It was hardly a new shirt, but I thought, oh my God, I'm wearing like a 20 year old shirt. This shirt is probably 15 years old. Um, so I don't know. Something that you have mentioned to me in the past and that at first glance might not appear <clears throat> related to this, and you use the word narrativize today already, but collecting also produces an well first i should say what you've said in the past is that we're inherently driven to narratives as people and life is a lot about consuming and producing narratives so we watch tv shows we follow the kardashians we sort of we think of our own lives as stories in a sort and collecting whether it's uh we when some i was talking to a girl today who told me how much she loves to travel and i i to me i don't like traveling but for her i think okay she's collecting uh memories or something to give meaning to her life or to tell people about where she's been and um i am or i collected when i was in high school you remember what tumblr was there are all those where people would put up bunches of pictures. I, still look, I look at I Tumblr constantly. Okay, yeah. So I had like folders on my computers where I would just drag images. Oh, yeah, right. And 
that was sort of to catalog my taste so that I could look back and construct a narrative about what I was interested, who I thought, which models I thought were pretty when, which shoe, which shoes I thought were cool in, in 2010, uh, those sorts of things. And I write a journal entry every night now because I want to be able to look back and see the minutia of my daily life uh, 50 years from mm-hmm. now. I've been keeping journals on some level since I was 16, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here. I, uh, I'll show you a couple of my ro- most recent drawings. Just... Uh, Please do. So, uh, and we'll have to describe them for our audio only listeners. Okay. Uh, I don't usually do this, but so we're talking about ourselves. Okay. It's sort of sandy I'm and it's sort of a sphinx. Of Can you with... see it? Yes. Okay. With lots of breasts as expected. Just two. Uh, uh, I skip that one. Skip that one. Hmm. Uh, it's like sandy in an aquarium. Something that, something that has always interested me about your uh-huh. art, and it, it reminds me of Picasso. Is that? I dig the one with the cross. What what I've always found fascinating is that. You're an extremely gifted artist. Uh-huh. And I don't mean in this sense. Obviously, well, to me, obviously, this is gifted. But you can draw things or had the capacity to draw things that were photorealistic. Uh-huh. That one's very cool. Yeah, it's it's sort of and a sphinx, yet, but it's the uh, skeleton of the sphinx. So the wings are there. I mean, I th- I find that to be uh-huh. awesome. Very, but anyway, so you you had the capacity to draw photorealistically, and yet this is how you draw. And at the same time, when you look at people, can look at Picasso and say, at Picasso and say, I have no idea what the hell is going on here. A kindergartner could do it. I mean, that's that's sort of the the common refrain for a lot of, particularly for more modern art. But when you look at what he did before the Picasso we know, he was an absolutely astounding draftsman. I, I don't like that argument. Could paint I, I really with... don't like... I, I actually... Well, I haven't made an argument Well, okay, yet. go ahead. I, I think I know what you're saying, but go ahead. Uh, well... I think your argument is that his art is great. Oh, well, I haven't made an I think, argument. I think you're going to say that what undergirds the greatness of his art is that he had those core abilities. And it's it's actually a thought I reject, but but if you're going to say that, maybe you're not going to say something else. No, what I was going to say, I wasn't going to make an argument. I was just going to say it is fascinating that somebody like you or Picasso could have those abilities and then, to my mind, do something that is degenerate and doesn't ca- call upon those abilities. No. And that says something. So I was talking to this girl again today and she was showing me a painting she did that was like, uh, sort of like a Jackson Pollock. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading about Jackson Pollock 10 years ago and getting the sense that 
Well, one, people think of it, oh, they're just pretty faint paint, pretty paint uh-huh. splatters. But as I read about him and thought about the process where he's maybe standing over this piece of art and he's grinding dirt into it with his mm-hmm. boot and sprinkling glass on it and mm-hmm. sand and splattering paint right. at it, it's art doesn't art just does, doesn't have to be pretty. It's it's some sort of expression and he was expressing the the feeling of being a god and having control. Maybe not unlike collecting and that he was producing lots mm-hmm. of artwork. Uh, and it was sort of a it was a series of paintings mm-hmm. commemorating the feelings of the moment. Well, um what I was gonna say about the Picasso thing, and I've made the argument that I attributed to you and then rejected, um, is that I know some, well, I know what I regard as some fabulous artists who I don't think have those technical chops. Um, they're not artists that could knock out a photorealistic drawing of this major accent uh, marker. Um, but I think a lot of those capabilities having to do with photorealistic rendering um, are not really as important as I thought they were when I was younger. And I thought too that, you know, the fact that Picasso had those chops was in some way validation for his rejection of them. Uh, and and I, I, I am inclined to feel that mm-hmm. way. I mean, you were you jumped the gun before I said it, uh, but that is a feeling that I'm inclined to empathize with. I feel that similarly with DJing. I just can't understand DJing when I know... So it's not that I can't understand it, but I can't appreciate it the way that I can appreciate Ethan's violin playing. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, oh well. Any more to say on collecting um, at the moment? Well, I think it just sort of tying a bow around that testament to greatness or achievement. I don't think we talked about the fact that some of it is to appear or to be wealthy, powerful, knowledgeable, erudite. I mean, having a library, in a sense, is sort of saying, like, I can read. I read these. I can understand mm-hmm. them. Um, so it's also boastful in a way. Um, let's see what else. Oh, I was just thinking just uh, uh, in terms of, of our, our base nature, our, our nature of collecting, I... I was thinking about Genesis, it's Genesis 6, where, you know, God says to Noah, um, gather up two of every sort, blah, 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 you know, to keep them alive. It just, I was thinking about even Noah's Ark as as sort of like, you know, it's all going to go to to the shitter, like, you know, collect everything, you know, um, maybe that goes back to like, uh, um, you know, order won't be surrendered to chaos or chaos can be forestalled or rebuffed in some way or or you have the power to do that by collecting or through collecting. 
you know, it's sort of magical. You can you can collect and, and thereby hmm. ward off chaos. Uh, you can ward off death. You can you can cheat death. Um, um, reminded me a little bit. Uh, I do like that. I mean, the power of the archetypal story. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, the Noah's Ark story is a lesson. In a, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of lessons intended and unintended, but one, uh, pun intended, is to keep your ducks uh-huh. in a row. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's about it. I'm sure I'll think of a million other things. Um, oh, I, I, no, well, I guess I like one of the things, keep creation of, of a mythology. I, I, I remember that was like one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about the uh, idea of seeming erudite, knowledgeable, um, powerful. It was also like you can, you can sort of outlive death by creating your own personal mythology through collecting, which a lot of people have done, right? And there are testaments they're collecting. There are rooms mm-hmm. or museums or libraries or their names sort of live on as collectors or because of their collections. So people know it sort of has a myth-making capability as well. Maybe even like in a smaller scale, like within your family. You know, maybe I'll be the person who collected art books or, you know, thousands of art books. And that'll be like all anyone will say about me 100 years from now, right? But I sort of live on through that. It gives me it's sort of a touchstone for me. It's metonymic or some way. It just sort of will be like the this is who he was. This is his life. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of magical in a way. Metonymic is a good word. Yeah, it's a good word. Um, that's it. All right, Father. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for being part of Robinson's podcast. Well, that evening. I'm not so good at, but I do like talking to you. It's always good to talk to you. And and next time I'd like to hear more from you because you have a lot more interesting things to say than I do.